Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf. Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. <laughs> Matt Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going Inside the Ropes. Hey everybody, welcome to the show, Inside the Ropes, episode 31 for the first time in 2018. It is great to be back with you. We loved doing it last year and we're looking forward to doing it all over again throughout 2018. Hopefully we've got some uh, exciting Australian news to be discussing on the way through. It does look like it's going to be an epic year in the world of women's and men's golf. It's been a very, very big, busy summer. There's a load to get through. It wouldn't be inside the ropes without him. He is, I don't think he's had a day off since about <laughs> November 11, 2017. His name is Mark Hayes, and he joins us from Golf Australia. Hello, Hazy. G'day, Murray. I, I, I did join you on another uh, radio show earlier in this week and may or may not have fallen asleep on the microphone. <laughs> so I guarantee you that I'm up and about here this week, and we've got so much to talk about. I'm really pumped. And big thank you to – I have been a lot of tournaments over the summer, and a big thanks to everyone who actually stopped and tapped me and said, when are you coming back on the Inside the Ropes? When's it happening? Da, da, da. They, they love it. And I really appreciated that, especially the fact that they bothered to, to stop and talk about it. It was fantastic. Here, here, Martin Blake joins us. There's never enough golf, golf spoken about in Australia, is there, Blakey? G'day, Andy. That's probably right. Actually, there's a lot been happening. But I did look at the calendar the other day, and do you realise that it's six weeks to the Masters? So well, as much yep, as been right? happening, we've, we've, got a, we've got a big period coming up. So looking forward to it. And great to be back. Is this the A-team? or is it? Oh, this would is you rather have Ali Whitaker here than me or uh, Clates or someone? Oh, I think this is the A team. But then when Ali's here, I say that's the A team. When Clayton's here, I say that's the A team. So, uh, it's not six weeks until the Masters. You're wrong there. Am it's I? six weeks until Tiger tees it up at the Masters. Because it wow. seems to me yeah. at the moment the only interest that 99% of people over in good old US of A have is how Tiger's progressing to the first tee at Augusta. That seems to be the only thing they're interested in at the moment over there. Well, it's funny, uh, you know, uh, last weekend at Riviera. Uh, the crowds, uh, the, sorry, the ticket sales were double. So, mm. and the television ratings have been up as well. So, yes, they're very interested in it. Tiger himself is just uh, muddling along, isn't he? I mean, he missed the cut by four. Uh, I didn't see a lot of it, but I've sort of spoken to a few people about it. What did you think, Hazy? I mean, I was listening to Jeff Shackelford talk about this on his podcast last night. This is Jeff Shackelford, journo from America, who's been on our show last year. And he said that Tiger's body language was a bit different and his demeanour was a bit different. He was very friendly and engaging with the public, which is kind of not the Tiger we know. But, uh, you know, I'm glad to see him out there. I'm glad to see him trying. But I know, Hazy, you're sceptical about his ability to come back. Oh, I think you want to buy your tickets on Thursdays and Fridays, Blakey. Yeah. I, I mean, a really flat round at Riviera, which is a course by his own admission that he knows and, and has dominated at the past. Like, he, he loves it. Um, so I hope it's not typical, but that was a pretty bad miss in terms of making a cut. When You're you... not enjoying this, are you? Uh, no, I want to see him up and about. Of course you do, but from a professional standpoint, you were very strong on your declaration that yeah. 
he won't he I won't a, get back. I had a bet with a mate in tw- 2008, straight after he won at Torrey Pines, that he would never win another major, which I think he thought at the time was easy money. But I'm sticking to that, obviously. Uh, and and it's, it's it's one of the greatest bets I've ever. That's, made. Un- that's an unbelievable bet. Yeah, so he was 32 at the time um, and had 14 major championships, but he looked beaten to me physically. Uh, and we weren't to know what else was going on in his yeah, world at the yeah. time. Hmm. But I still think that his that all aside, I still think that his his best now is no longer the best on the planet. That's a simple reason for me not expecting him to do well this year. There are five or six, 46 players yeah, who have say. gone past yeah, him. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I'm not talking... He used to physically dominate fields. That's not happening. He's no longer got that mental grip on people, although that probably... You could probably argue that might not be might still be the case if he gets into a crunch situation. Once upon a time, his wedges were pure, and they have been better this time around. But that's not the case anymore. And I'll reserve judgment on his putting until the crunch situation happens. But his driver is deplorable. It's all over the shop. It's all yeah. over the shop. It's yeah. it's not the the driver you need to win a tour event, let alone a major championship. The only thing I will say, Blakey. Is that six weeks to the till he tees it up at the Masters? That's the course on the entire tour where he could win, because you know there is no rough and he can pick it up anywhere and off those pine needles and do something Tiger esque. Andy, so, do you reckon that uh, that's what he's thinking? That he thinks that if he can just play a few tournaments, he doesn't normally play Riviera. He's playing in the Honda uh, this week at PGA National. Is he thinking that if he can get his game in some sort of shape by April? Maybe he can do something at Augusta. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to know what he's thinking. I was interested in um, Shackelford's observations. I reckon we talked about this late last year that he was, he, he there was a, he, he it started to smile again, and it, yeah. it, it was a different demeanour about yeah. him. And I think he's just, I think he has achieved something in terms of getting back. I think getting back out there, and while we thought it was lips, I think put it, put words in other people's mouths, but I certainly thought some people were of the view that. Him saying, "I want to get out there and compete with the boys again." I, I like that's what I like. I think some of us thought, "No, you're just that. You're just saying that." What you really mean is you want to go out there and beat the boys again. Mm. I wonder whether he is uh, a realistic enough at forty-two, whatever he is now, yeah, forty-two, forty-two, to realise that no, no, these bikes have gone past me, and I'm not going to be the player that I used to be. But it is fun being out here. I mean, what else am I going to do? Well, so mellow tiger. I reckon it is. <laughs> I reckon it is. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't want to win anymore. But I, I, do, I, I wonder, I'm starting to come around to the fact that maybe he does have a greater sense, a more acute sense, more realistic sense about mm. where he sits. You're right, Hazy. I mean, 42, there might be 100 players better than yeah. him on the planet right now. And he might know that. Yeah. You I know, uh, actually heard on a, another podcast, the ISEC Golf Podcast, a couple of weeks ago, they had a really good interview with uh, Lauren Rubenstein, a Canadian journalist and former player and caddy, who wrote the book about 20 years uh, on from Tiger's 1997 triumph at Augusta. And he actually said, I know he's always had a focus on uh, winning major championships, stands to reason. But this time around, he's exclusively major-driven because he realises he's only got so much physicality to give give around. So his efforts will be going into specific things. And I can't... If he doesn't win or compete in the Masters, you can stick a fork in him right now. He was missing to the right last week 
all the time. Sorry, he was missing to the left, and then prior to that, he was missing to, to the, the right. right. Yeah, PGA National this week, water everywhere. Mm. So <laughs> he could rinse some balls this oh, week. His numbers, you know. his numbers of fairways hit and greens in regulation are off the charts bad at yeah. the moment. So the pressure on his short game yeah. is his scrambling's intense. been good. It has, it, and yeah. so that's the one thing we thought the yips with his little kind of chips and pitches around greens might have been a bit of an issue for him, but he does seem to yep. have that. In control Sharp at the moment. Again. Yeah, yep. he does. So, look, we'll we'll watch this space. Maybe he's just posing for some Beneville videos. Perhaps that's right. Have you ever heard a bloke make a career out of taking little videos and putting <laughs> little cheap one-liners out on Twitter? He's a freak. It's extraordinary. A big me. show today. Stacey Peters' Women's Amateur Asian Championship uh, is on as we speak. She's got a new position with Golf Australia. We're going to chat to her about both. Stephen Pitt, the CEO of Golf Australia, is going to come in and tell us about Vision 2025, which was released during the Australian Women's Open. So let's let that be a segue into the Women's Open. Yeah. Um, you're both there. Kionga, 10 out of 10 by by all reports, by what we saw, if we weren't there. It just looked absolutely mint. It's a golf course that if you play it, I reckon you'll love it. And it looked like it really, really hit the mark for what ended up being another Korean domination. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But the course itself was, uh, you know, it's, it's hosted men's Australian Open cha- Championships before, never a women's one. Uh, it absolutely put its best foot forward. Uh, extraordinarily prepared to the minute course. And when you walked in the gate, Andy, it gave you that sort of real championship feel. Um, just around the clubhouse was an ex- excellent atmosphere. We haven't got the numbers back yet from Adelaide, but I'm guarantee it'll be a record crowd because they were pumping from Thursday morning, Friday morning around the marquee groups. So it was fantastic, and you know, it, a great advertisement for a, a probably a, a golfing city that's been sort of off the radar for a while because there's three and maybe four yeah. with Glenelg and other ones just outside the city courses there that are world class, and we saw that on the weekend. And there was an announcement, Andy, last week that they're extending the deal to stay in South Australia for another three years, and rightly so, because that event is going really well in Adelaide. Kuyonga, as you said, uh, was absolutely great. I think it was ranked number 28 in Australia in the last Golf Digest rankings. It'll go higher after this tournament. The conditioning of the course was fantastic, and it worked brilliantly. I don't know why courses need to host big tournaments to jump up those rankings, but that's... (laughs) That's another debate for another day, but that will go it, higher. It's and, a good debate, actually. Yeah. Look, uh, I think the LPGA co-sanction is the key for the Women's Australian Open. It just gives you that strength of field. It's a much stronger field in terms of world ranking than the men's events that we have, unfortunately, but it's because it's linked with the LPGA. So you had four of the top 10, eight of the top 20. Hazy, I'm not sure how many of the top 100. There was something like 30... 38, I think. 38 of the top 100. I mean, it's just a very strong field. And uh, you, you had Koreans one and two. So, Blakey, I'll pick up a point that Hazy raised, and I'll run it through you and then jump in, Hazy. Hazy talked about the feel that you got when you walked through the gates at Kionga. You mentioned the fact that the deal's been extended with South Australia, with Adelaide, to hang on to the women's. The men's, you know, has spent a long time up in Sydney, and we're all proud Melbournians. But if you're going to have a major national championship, it's got to feel significant. And I think credit has got to be given to the golf communities. And, of course, there are visitors that come in from elsewhere. But the heart and the soul and the body of the supporter base that supports those events, the men's and the women's in Sydney and Adelaide, respectively, come from those towns. The golf communities of Sydney and Adelaide deserve a significant pat on the back, I reckon, for supporting the events that their local governments spend so much time lobbying to have in their, in their cities. 
Well, absolutely. I mean, look, in the ideal world, I think the national championships would probably rotate around everywhere. Mm. That would be the ideal world. But in the real world, you need the money from government to support the events because it's a struggle. So, you know, the South Australian government's been very supportive. The public turned up, as you said. I, it felt to me, Hazy, like a, almost like a, a proper LPGA full-on golf tournament every day. And, and on the Sunday, there were people everywhere. And Steph Nair made a hole-in-one out on the back of the course somewhere, and you could hear the, the roar all around That's the course. Awesome. That's great. It was fantastic, and I concur, Andy. I mean, the the support we we often in other sports have chastised Sydney supporters for oh, being yeah. theatre goers, and yep. it's not right in this instance. It's patently incorrect. Um, the tournament, you could argue that it hasn't had the depth of feel that we spoke about in the road to the Open before we took our Christmas break here. The men's, you mean? Uh, the men's, I'm talking mm. about, hasn't had the depth um, uh, that it historically once had. But what we have had is just an absolute pick of the stand of the world's best players in the last five or six years. And in that time, the event has gone, like, noticeably, if you walk through the doors from one level up, three or four levels. The infrastructure around is great. The village is great. The support we have on so many different levels is enormous. Yep. And it's run much more professionally than it ever was. So um, how you judge these things, I don't know. But the support of the crowds in both... Adelaide for the women's and Sydney for the men's has been first class. No doubt. So Hannah Green, Catherine Kirk and Minji Lee finished third, fourth, tied fifth in that order. Flew the flag brilliantly. They were great. Yeah. They were great. I'm really excited about this, Andy. I, I, I was over at the Australian Amateur Championship um, in Perth in the middle of January. And to be honest with you, we, and we'll talk about this later with, with Stace, to be honest with you, there was a domination in the women's side of things from the Asian perspective. We had a Japanese winner in both the men's and the women's, uh, and we had an, an all-Asian final between Korea and Japan. And I'm sort of thinking, where's the next generation coming here? What 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 are we looking at? And I think um, hopefully we'll find out a bit more about that next generation when we talk to Stacey later. But what we did see in not only... Uh, the Women's Australian Open, but also at the Vic Open. We saw the final group again was Minji Lee, Hannah Green, and Karis Davidson. And among those names you mentioned there, add Steph Nair, add Karis Davidson. They were all put in phenomenal performances in Adelaide. And it left you with a feeling that, and this is unbelievable, Andy, this week, for the first time in a thousand years, Kari Webb's dipped out of the top 100 in the world rankings. And you sort of think, oh, what's going to happen? when Kari's gone, you know, which is the same sort of thing as what's going to happen when Greg's gone. Yeah. Well, right now, things are looking extremely rosy. Catherine Kirk's got it all together, and she's motivated. We'll talk to her during the year. Minji's awesome. Hannah's going north at a rapid rate. Karis is on fire. Um, she's she's the one who's taken massive steps under the radar because of the other girls, but it's really promising, I think, for women's golf. Um, and we've got four or five pushing each other in a five-year bracket. It's but, fantastic. Okay, but Blakey... How far ahead are the the Korean women? I mean, this is the great. This is the the lure out in front of the the chasing greyhound pack. You know, if I may be so disrespectful to <laughs> to kind of characterise it that way, uh, is the rest of the is the rest of the peloton ever going to catch up with a breakaway leader at the moment? That's well, the question. They set a very hot standard. There's no doubt about that. I mean, Jin Young Ko, who won uh, by three shots, she's only 22 years old. She's won <laughs> 10 times in Korea and now is on the LPGA. She's just got there. She's done it a bit like Inji Chan, who won everything in Korea and then 
headed over to the LPGA. I mean, she's an amazing player. She's a very stiff-legged player. I don't know whether you noticed that. I've never seen a really good player uh, swing with such a kind of stiff legs, but she's got a beautiful swing. She does everything well. I watched her go down that's the That's why you 17th. dance, by the way. You <laughs> dance a bit like that. Yeah, that's true. I didn't yeah, realise like you were a zombie. Martin <laughs> Harmon, by the way, here. <laughs> <Right>. Sorry. <laughs> Well, yeah, she just uh, I just gave her a bit of advice, and I think she should do it. No, I like so a bit she, more fluidity so in her legs. Jin Young-Ko, really good. Hijin Cho, who finished second, yeah. is an unbelievable player. She's only 18 years of old, Hazy. Yeah. Um, they set a great standard. Look, that's the world standard. You've spoken to Mike Clayton about this before. I mean, they work extremely hard, and they set the standard, and everyone else has to catch it, and it's not easy. But, uh, you know, Hannah Green at 21 years of age to finish third. She picked up 87 grand. There, I mean, she's well on her way to keeping a card already, and she's only played two LPGA events. So, a couple of things on the Asian thing. Blakey wrote a really good story with Dean Hurden during the week, which is fantastic. Gave a great insight into you know how things happen in Korea. Um, he was a caddy for um, Jin Young Ko. Yeah, yeah, big Australian guy. He's passionate about women's golf, and he's you know he's actually won. Is it now? I think that was his fifty second or fifty first. Fifty two. That was his fifty second pro title as a caddy Andy on Sunday <laughs> it's unbelievable so this is the Steve Williams of women's golf yeah, effectively yeah. Uh, he gave great Blakey great insight into into different things around the Korean culture and how it comes together and we've talked about it before but the three levels of uh, professional tournament play in Korea is phenomenal to me so there's a development tour a sort of a, a secondary tour and then there's an elite tour and they're all supported and backed on television and you know, they're rock it's stars. It's crucial, I reckon. It's a really crucial point. Yeah, and, and we have to get, if we want to be competitive at that level, and I don't know if we can have the massive numbers, that's something we, we might talk to Stephen Pitt about, but if we want to have that interest and that development uh, in women's golf, we need to have that uh, adoration of, of young young yeah. girls coming through and the, and the respect that the young Korean girls must have for the, all these you know superstars that they see on television every week. Tell the world how good they are. Keep telling them. Yeah. Even when people don't want to listen, keep telling them. Keep pushing it and doing it and use any vehicle you've got. Things like this and radio shows and your own websites and word of mouth and just keep telling the world how good Hannah Green is. Yeah. And then hopefully enough people are going to go, oh, that Hannah Green's in town this weekend playing in this tournament down there. I'm going to go and I'll go and have a look at her. And then hopefully the thing starts to build its own momentum because you know, I guarantee you, when when the Korean golfing authorities decided, and the TV networks, I've got no idea how, it's, how it works over there, but when they decided we're going to invest in women's golf here and we're going to bite the bullet here and we're going to start to fly the flag and, and commit to this the way they are, there may not necessarily have been a groundswell and a huge body of you know willing support for it back. But now... Mm. They, they do. They are rock stars. This is, this is American basketball. It's Canadian ice hockey. It's Romanian gymnastics. Whatever it is, this it's is T Twenty cricket. Yeah, it's domination yeah. by a country of an event. Okay, it's, so it's, it's the All Blacks yeah, in rugby. It, that's, it is. That's that exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, yeah. It did feel like a passing of the baton, Andy, with Kari missing the cut. And Kari also spoke before the tournament about her schedule this year, which is going to be part time. She's talked about only about ten tournaments, and she talked about months and months and months at at home in Townsville, uh, you know, just hanging out. So uh, these young players have got to step up, and I think think they probably are. She hasn't retired yet. There'll be a time when we can sing the praises of Kari Webb, oh. you know, ultimately. But 
Gee, she's been. She, she actually said she might never tell anyone that she's going to retire. She might just play till she's <laughs> eighty, but just, just keep keep pottering along. So the first time I've seen Kari since I upset her last year. I mentioned this to you last <laughs> you're year. Seen you're the go uh, again. I can't I, believe you're going there again. I, I just, the daggers, uh, Andy. It was I, incredible. Yes. I had to. I had to sort of ease my way up to her after the little press conference and say, "Oh, have you forgiven me yet?" You know, because uh, for our <laughs> listeners, I, I wrote last year that Kari might be finishing up. Uh, at the end of the 2017 season, and she texted me and said, "Do you know more about my career than I do?" <laughs> uh, so, uh, anyway, she she seemed quite friendly. I, I you know I got through that. So, uh, but I wasn't too far off the mark, was I? You know, she's not retiring, but she's just going to play part time. I just want to mention a couple of things there, and it won't, we'll come back to Hannah Green in a second. But the Australian Amateur Championship, which I touched on, the pedigree coming out of that event in the last seven or eight years is unbelievable. Winners, Lydia Ko, Minji Lee twice, um, Herjin Choi, we just mentioned, ran second. Um, it, it's an mm. extraordinary event. Suzuki Yamaguchi won over there, and she finished. She made the cut here, beat an absolute truckload of awesome professionals, Brooke Anderson, Kari Webb, you name them. And she was second to another girl, Yuri Yoshida, from Japan. Don't write off Japan, is what I'm saying to you too. They've got it happening right now too. It's a very competitive space at the moment, women's yeah. golf. And secondly, just one before I get away from this, I've got so many things that we can talk about, so I apologise if I'm dribbling a little. <laughs> uh, Hannah Green um, was absolutely awesome in helping Stephen Pitt and Jill Spargo announce the Vision 2025, which we'll talk to Steve about. Um, she was she was captivating to a, an old media. Um, she was fascinating to a new audience out in the fairways who watched her lead the charge for Australia the whole week, basically. Um, but I, a little anecdote, if you don't mind. Um, I, I got talking to a caddy a fair bit during the week, a guy from Florida called Paul, and he was just full of her praises, not as a golfer, but just as a human being. And we've had her on before, and we'll get her on again soon. And good luck to her in Coffs Harbour again this week. She was walking off the, I want to say, the 12th tee uh, on Friday afternoon during the tournament, and she stopped and was asked to provide a, an autograph. And she stopped in the middle of her round and wrote on the girl's cap and chatted to her for 20 seconds walking along. And Paul sort of nodded to her like, you know, come on. And she goes, Paul, you don't get it. This is um, this is what it's all about. And, and they left the girl and they kept walking. And Paul said, what do you mean? And she said, "This is the, that's the future of women's golf right there. If I don't take the time to talk to her, she may not play golf. Uh, I, I, this is a woman who's just won nearly 100 grand and, and um, you know, in the biggest stage of her life without any question at all. And she's just got her head so screwed on so beautifully that she's got the big picture in mind. And that's the, the rock star we want to have leading the way. Here, here. Perfect. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, more of it, I say, particularly in golf. They need to be touchable and seeable and connectable and all of that. Uh, we'll keep rolling through. Stephen Pitt not too far away from joining us. We'll just, we'll just roll through the rest of the news before we get to pity. Um, Bubba wins for the first time in two years, his third win at Riviera. Can you believe that he had slumped at a career high of two in the world in the official world golf rankings? He'd slumped to 117 in the world before Genesis. Did you realise that? 117 no, in the world. He, he's quirky, isn't he? Because he's won 10 tour events, Bubba Watson, but two of those are majors. Yeah. Three others are at Riviera. So he's five of his 10 wins have been at two different courses. So he likes to curve the ball, as we know. He's the biggest curver of the ball I've ever seen. And if he can find a course that he can kind of curl it around, at, at Augusta, he hits, fades around the corner. They're right to left holes, most of them. 
and it works brilliantly. And Riviera is a bit like that as well. So, uh, look, he's quirky and he's very hot and cold. But when he's hot, you know, like look out for him at Augusta if he's got his game together. I, I learned something, another quirky thing, Andy, that won't endear him to you. And I know that you are a long way back in the Bubba Watson fan club. It's not the highest ticket in your wallet, is it? No, it's not. He was asked whether he would change a light bulb. Did you read that? Uh, go on. He was asked whether he would change a light bulb uh, in his house, and he said, no, no, I wouldn't. For a start, my wife's taller than me, so she's six foot four, Angie. Uh, so I'd get her to do it if we had to at, put at a pinch. But he said, I wouldn't want to risk my hands. My hands are my career, Andy. And uh, I just think changing a light bulb would jeopardize what I'm all about. He, uh, I think there was a survey. Oh, Andy. that makes me like him even more. <laughs> I think there was a survey a couple of years ago, oh, of P- on, a, an, an anonymous survey of PGA Tour players, that, and they had to nominate the player they least liked, and he was he was at the top of that. I think. Well, surely there's one other that's in front of him. Oh yeah, there has to be Kevin one. Nah. Other. Kevin Nah. Yeah. What? Oh, what about our man? Oh yeah, the the oh that bloke. Yeah, he's no good. No, we'll come. We we'll leave yeah, him. We'll wait till we'll we'll wait till he'll he'll get a run around at some stage this year because yeah. he'll do something stupid like he generally does. Yeah, too. But Kevin, nah, he must be an absolute nightmare. But there was there was classic vision that did sort of go viral. I think it was on. He had about a two and a half footer for par on. It was in the sort of business end of the second. I think up the back nine on Sunday. It took him over a minute when oh, it was his turn. When he stood over the ball, it took him over a minute to hit the ball. It was. It was horrific. It was God knows what what would happen had he knocked it three feet past, but it's just got to stop. It's got to stop. This is this is death of golf stuff. It cannot be allowed to happen. My head's going to just wobble off here in a minute in disgust at that. And this is on the heels at Torrey Pines of the worst thing I've ever seen on a golf course. JB Holmes, over four minutes, literally just in excess of four minutes uh, on the last hole. In and regulation then, and play, then he laid up. and then he laid up and laid up into the rough. I mean, six-hour rounds. I mean, oh, oh, Stephen, we'll ask Stephen Pitt about what that does to golf. But you know, above all else, it took Jason Day's victory the next day into a Monday, or yeah, it yeah. took it into another it's day. True. It, it takes the whole gloss off the entire tournament, mm. and that he put Alex Noren on the spot and made him feel awkward is just a disgrace. And honestly. To hear him say, I don't care, is the most galling, mm. just narcissistic crap I've ever heard from a professional player. I used to like him, mm. but you can't do that. You cannot play six-hour rounds. You are killing golf, killing it, dead. Great. Now, Cam Smith tied six, Andy. Good point. Yeah, I didn't uh, want to get too He far was in yet. the mix. Yeah, my word, he was. He was within a shot with about... He bogeyed four and then birdied five straight away and got to within a shot at about the turn. Just mm. couldn't boot it home, unfortunately. Uh, look, he's 52nd in the world. I looked at the rankings the other day. So he's got some, you know, he's having a really good year already. Um, I think he's in the top 20 on the money list. But uh, he needs to get his ranking inside 50 to get in the Masters. So that's the, the focus for him now. He's not playing this week, I don't believe, at the Honda. But uh, Cameron is really going very well. And he's on the verge of getting himself into those majors. The other one we should mention just before we get too far away from this and forget it, and we'll bring Stephen Pitt after this and do the rest of the um, other stuff at the end of the show, but um, Aaron Baddeley was in the frame for a long time as well in this tournament, just petered out towards the end. But, I mean, he's now one of the old blokes flying the flag. He still looks as young as he did, you know, when he was winning Australia. He hasn't changed much physically. He's still in terrific nick. But 
we should recognise the fact that the durability of this bloke, for all of the travails that he's put upon himself in terms of swing changes and, you know, fooling around and fiddling around with setups and um, everything to do with the golf, he's made some major changes to the way that he plays the game. The fact that he's still out there, still competing, and he bobs up more often than we probably give him credit for on the PGA Tour. Uh, it's a it's a remarkable career without ever scaling the heights that I think we all hope Baddeley would. Well, I think he's won four times maybe on the on the PGA yeah, Tour. I yeah. mean, it's, it's a fantastic career if we could have a young guy up and coming uh, achieve that. Now you'd think it was a great result. Um, he's got a happy knack, Andy, of getting a big check when he makes the cut. Uh, so and and he plays well on those sort of courses. He's you know obviously fond of Australian conditions and Riviera is always compared to Australian courses and. No surprise um, to see him compete on that course so well, but when he's been sort of nowhere, it's a pretty pretty impressive achievement. No, he's a remarkable player, and he's still out there and competing. We'll get through the rest of all the other bits and pieces after a quick break here on Inside the Ropes. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program Visit swingfit.com.au. Hey, it's Jeff Ogilvy. I can't be in Australia very often, but I love keeping up with everything on Inside the Rope podcast. Good bunch of guys, and I love listening. Welcome back to the show. Always a joy to have the boss, uh, the CEO of Golf Australia, join us on Inside the Rope, Stephen Pitt. After a busy couple of months in Australian golf, Stephen, thanks for being on the show for the first time in 2018. Always a pleasure, Andy. We're going to talk Vision 2025 that was yeah. released during the but the, just your thoughts on Kionga and the way they staged and hosted the uh, the Women's Open? I thought it was exceptional. I mean, most of my views are gained from what the players think. That's probably the primary thing uh, in terms of how the tournament plays out, and the players loved it. The feedback from uh, from pretty much everyone I spoke to was that they loved the course, uh, we saw the course be a terrific tournament venue. There's a lot of holes, particularly towards the end, that wind around the clubhouse. So the atmosphere, uh, especially on Sunday afternoon, was was terrific. Um, so I thought it was excellent. Uh, course was amazing condition. I think uh, Penilla Lindbergh said it was the best fairway she'd played on in something like nine years of being a pro. So that was that's a ringing endorsement. We're having a chat about it before that the two cities that are hosting, you know, more often than not at the moment, our major championships, women and men. Unfortunately, for those of us who might want it in our particular necks of the wood, they're doing an outstanding job. The the fans of the game and the the clubs that are hosting the events, they keep just doing a terrific job and supporting the event. I imagine the way that Golf Australia would want National Open supported. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in reference to the Women's Open, we've seen the city of Adelaide really embrace it, and that's media. It's uh, it's obviously the golf clubs, Golf SA has been terrific uh, in terms of helping with the uh, the running of the championship, and that's what you want. You really want your championship to be something special in that sort of city. Now, I think for us, we've we've seen it grow. In Adelaide, we were there for the next three years, mm. uh, which we're excited about. But you're always looking, how do we make this better? So it's a, uh, an unceasing quest 
to bring more people to the championship, to add on different things, um, and also always get your, your viewership up uh, and make sure more people are uh, taking notice of what you're doing. And sort of broadly to that end, uh, your release in the during the Women's Open Vision 2025, the future of women and girls in golf. Now, sporting bodies forever, and you know, Blakey, Hazy and I have been covering sport for a long time, not just golf, but sporting bodies are always releasing these white papers and these mission statements on how they're going to do this and how they're going to do that. And it sounds great at the time. It sounds like they're sort of tapping into a bit of a zeitgeist and um, whatever it might be. But then then we kind of move on to the next thing and it doesn't really kind of go anywhere. The determination of Golf Australia to really do something about a problem area, and that is attracting and retaining women in golf. How committed long-term is the body to making this eight-year project, seven-year project, a real thing that you're going to sort of hang your hat on and be measured against? You know what? I think the critical thing will be our ability to actually invest into it. Uh, It's fine to talk about this is what we'd like to do, uh, but for us, this is at least a half a million dollar a year project. So the responsibility will be on the organisation to actually spend that money, Uh, and some of it we'll have to raise, and that process has already started, and we've had a really good take-up. We've probably raised about 20 to 25% of of what we need to, and we know there's other avenues already, and obviously it'll, it'll take some general revenue from GA. But if you don't invest into these things, nothing happens. Uh, for, for us, we needed a long-term vision. We needed, you know, you couldn't say we're trying to do this next year or in the next couple of years. There's some really deep changes that need to be made in how golf uh, is, is played and run, which is why we gave ourselves a few years to, to get some, some results. Now, there's going to be milestones along the way. There'll be uh, be things we need to achieve to make sure that we've got momentum and we're actually uh, achieving some change. But well, I think we do have a pretty clear vision on what we're trying to do. The key thing is to get buy-in from uh, all the other bodies like ALPG, PGA, I think, the state bodies, and ultimately the clubs. Clubs that, are key. The yeah. clubs are where the, the battle's going to be won or lost. Uh, and some clubs, I think, are, are probably in already a pretty good position on this stuff. Some clubs are a long way behind. Uh, so it's about trying to get uh, clubs into a position where they're marketing the game and spreading the game to the whole population, not a small segment of it. And I think golf needs that. I mean, you, we're in a tough market. Um, people are busy with time, so we need to be have the biggest potential market possible to, to be successful. Absolutely. Maybe we come back to the clubs because that's, I think, the interesting part for a lot of our listeners. But just so people are aware, like, there's a lot of things in, in Australian golf that aren't, you know, world class, but there's a lot of things that are. And I think, I think Steve, you might correct me if I, if you think I'm wrong, but it's important for the um, our listeners here to realise that the RNA thinks enough of what we're doing here to have been a contributor to uh, financially to a position that it's about to be fulfilled. Um, we will speak to Stacey Peters later, who's already started. So we're going to have a couple of different staff members on really driving this on on board, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We've created two new positions. So, firstly, Stacey Peters in the female pathway manager. We've, that's something we've wanted to do for a while, and it's just been a matter of uh, competing priorities and and being able to find the money to invest in it. So, she's already made a really big impact. I think at GA in the office and outside the office, uh, just a perfect person mm. to bring into the fold. And the second one's the female uh, participation manager, and that's a really important. 
position within the organisation. I think we're interviewing this week, so it's it's imminent. But we need someone that can help lead the charge in that space. Uh, so they're major investments already. So to, we're a staff of around 30 people. So to add two new bodies is a significant investment for us, but it's just part of the investment we need to make to grow the game and um, to make all of golf stronger. And, and th- I think the key to unlocking female participation is it has a flow-on effect to, to more kids. It probably allows more men to spend time at, at the golf club as well. If we can create family environments where families can spend some time together, uh, it does, for some people, help eradicate that time barrier, which we know is the biggest barrier for golf. Uh, Steve, the number that jumped out to me in Adelaide as a journalist was that you said that 20% of female, uh, sorry, 20% of club members in Australia are, are female and that that's the lowest ever. And you had some interesting stats about the 70s, I think, where it was a lot higher than that, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, I mean, when you look at the, the membership chart, it's it's staggering. You can spend hours looking at it because it, it tells you so much. So if you go back to 1970, we had about uh, 300,000 members, uh, about 200,000 male and 100,000 female, so about 34% uh, female. Um, and what we saw through the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, maybe that Greg Norman, Norman yeah. Yeah, field era, we saw male membership grow from effectively 200,000 to 400,000. Uh, and there's a, there's a point in time where men went, did that, made that exact jump and women's membership went from 102,000 to 104,000. So all this membership um, growth was male. So, so we weren't losing females, but we were just adding new golfers, and they all happened to be male. And I think when you work through that, that that's, tells you a lot about trends in society, women going back into the workforce, and golf not really catering for that. So for half of the population, the product, wasn't right. And, and, was. and Jill Spargo, who's on the board and driving this a lot, uh, said that uh, if you could get it to 30% by 2025, that might be a, a good number. I mean, it, she want, would like it to get to 50%, but even if you could get it to 30 from 20. Oh, look, 30 would be an outstanding mm. result. That would actually have a really profound impact on, on golf membership. Just remember, if we'd kept female membership at 34%, uh, we'd now have 100,000 extra people as members of yeah. golf clubs. So that if you had kept those ratios, um, we would have got up to about 600,000 and we'd be sitting at about 500,000. So that's, yeah, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty important when you think of it that way. So the club that I play at has total equality for women. The women can play any time they want to. They play in any competition on any, any day. Is that what you're, you're kind of looking for from clubs down the track? Would you like to see more of that, or how common is that? I don't know what your club is. No, 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 no. It's, I think it's pretty common in country areas. So yeah. Country areas are a lot more egalitarian in terms of how they play their golf. Look, my view, and you, I'm not going to preach clubs how they should run their competitions and run their events, because ultimately that's the decision for the members. They, they attract members, and members say, this is what we want out of our golf club. But I'd make a general observation that we're very competition-focused when you compare us to other cultures around the world. Uh, We're very focused on this is a men's competition and only men can play at this time, and this is a women's competition and only women can play at this time. My thought is that that will break down over time, and I think we'll we'll become more about playing the game and and less concerned about exactly who's playing and, and where we're playing. I think one of the great things about our current handicap system, and it'll morph into the world handicap system, is it does allow you to play 
one competition with players on different tees, uh, with you know, it, which to me is a, a huge advantage because it's not just about male female. We're seeing people playing golf older uh, into their life. We're seeing uh, the distance between what the longest players uh, can do and what the shortest players can do in terms of how far they hit the golf ball has never been wider. So trying to set golf courses up for. 80-year-olds and 18-year-olds who can hit it sort of 310 metres, uh, it's impossible. So I think tees are going to be becoming more important. And let's, if, you, if we want to have comps, let's have comps where people can play off different tees. Yeah, let's not, idea. Yeah, yep. not yep. get so worked up on, you know, obviously honour boards and clubs and, and special comps, yes, you would run them uh, in a very formal, structured way. But I think beyond that, we'll probably get too worked up on on these competitions, which are often are held five, six, seven days a week at clubs. We might ask you more about the World Handicapping System in a second, but just before we leave that, and without pointing a finger at any specific clubs at all, because, you know, as you say, they, they have the right to run their own agendas, would you say it was important for the committees, especially long-standing committee members, to take a look at um, the way they are perceived by people who walk through the doors of the clubhouse? Yeah, look, I, I think it's not just committee members also. I think members, we have to, as golf members, have to have a much more open attitude towards growing the game oh, and, spot on. and bringing new people when new people are in your, your clubhouse. And you hear stories all the time about members chipping visitors and things like that. Golf needs to move past that. We need to be really welcoming and nurturing and sh- I like to say share the game. And yeah. I think club members in particular, not just committee members, but if we've got a view on let's nurture people, you know, if people don't know some of the rules and, and etiquette, let, let's help them through that yeah. in a really friendly manner. Not, you know, you hear so many stories about people being turned off golf by uh, confrontation uh, with a, a, an angry member. Uh, we, we need to get past that and we need to have a more accessible approach to how golf can be played and grown. I wonder how many clubs and club members actually have that in the back of their mind, that our job is to help develop and grow the game as opposed to, I'm just going to, this is my patch and I'm going to protect it. I want to be able to sit on this table on a Thursday afternoon in that corner with those four people. And if anything comes along that's going to threaten that, if I walk in and I don't have my seat and I can't hit off at my time, I'm going to, go to the committee and talk about this. So there is, there's more of that, unfortunately, I reckon, from what I hear, mm. than there is the sort of attitude that you're talking about, Stephen. I wish there was more of that. You, look, I think you hear about the bad more yeah, than probably the good. Right. And probably right, probably right. You know, when you go out on a golf course in the afternoon and you see kids running around and um, th- there's a lot of that goes on. Even uh, Lake Carinup, which is one of your more traditional golf clubs, we were over there for the Australian Amateur, not so long ago, the Friday afternoon. How good is it there yeah, on a Friday afternoon? That courtyard, pizza oh. oven, kids swarming with kids running around. A bit of music in yeah. the corner. Oh, yeah, it's hallelujah. Great. I mean, to, to me, there's a number of clubs that are embracing that sort of stuff. Um, and it'll happen more and more. So, yeah, we, we hear about the bad stuff. And I've been on a club committee. You know, we didn't get a letter from a member complaining because he had to play with a junior and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. That, that happens. But I think... Ultimately, if we can have a, uh, a more welcoming culture and, and members take a view, I've got a responsibility to share golf um, yeah. because the game will be better for it. The club will be better for it. 
and the people that they're bringing into the game will be better for it. If we all think about how golf's improved our lives and, and enhanced our lives, the friends that it's it's brought into our lives, this the moments of sheer joy, and there's obviously utter desperation from time to time, but <laughs> I think our lives are all so much better because of this great game. Why wouldn't you want to share that with people le- around you? It's left me sitting in a studio with this rabble, Steve. Okay, right? better, look what it does <laughs> to you. So four pillars, culture, leadership, grassroots, high performance and coaching, marketing, positioning. They're, they're the four pillars of Vision 2025. Can I suggest as a father of three daughters, I've got a vested interest in one of those pillars more than any other, and that is grassroots. If there's any way we can make golf clubs more in, open and encouraging to particularly young kids. Like, don't don't worry about... And we're happy to take feedback on this on our Twitter account, at Inside the Ropes. If you think that we're barking up the wrong tree or whistling Dixie, feel free to let us know about it. But there's, I know for a fact, I can see it. They don't even have to say anything. You can see it on their faces. You bring your kids down to the golf club and they run around and make a bit of noise. They're not... And nowhere near a tee or a green, mm. but just near the clubhouse or getting out of the car, you can see it. Mm. There's, you can see it. The body language is overwhelming. So you, you are discouraged from bringing your kids down there. I wish there, I wish there's more of that current up. Sort yeah, of you know what? You talked about it. Might be the clubs I've been, um, been sort of spending my time at. And Victoria's got a. I'm a member of Victoria. Um, and Commonwealth, and they're really welcoming towards kids. Um, Victoria has, has around 60 girls aged 6 to 16. They're, they're old figures, but, but they, they really embrace that. Um, so I've seen a number of clubs have a much, much more welcoming attitude towards kids, and yeah. I, I do think it's absolutely critical. So I, to me, from what I've seen, it's it's changing. Things like, if you're a member, yes, and even some of the you know clubs like Royal Melbourne, um, if you're a member, your kids can play for free. Bring them down the course for free. And that, that's what it should be. You don't want to pay a full member guest fee for your kids to play a few holes. So I think clubs are, are taking that on board and, and definitely improving. Steve, I really like Vision 2025, the whole concept of it. Uh, as you said, it, it depends what happens from here that will really judge it. But I, I look at that 20% figure, 20% of members, and I go, well... Glass half full or glass half empty. This is a great opportunity, isn't it? it this it is a great is. opportunity for golf to, to grow the grow the game. Yeah, and that's the number one thing I think clubs would say what they want out of, of GA and the state bodies. We want more members. That would probably be the number one thing. So we need to uh, think about what that could look like. And, and, and I think women offer just an amazing opportunity in that space. And you're right, Martin, it is half full, half empty. You know, if you talk to the UK... They'd love to have 20% of membership female. If we talk to New Zealand or Scandinavia, they're, they're well above that. I mean, New Zealand, I think, is about 30%. So there's role models for us to follow. Um, and, and often those countries with higher percentages are less competition-focused than, than what we are. So, you know, we, we need to think through our product offering. I think for people that want to play competition every time out, that's fine, and, and that vehicle's available. Uh, for people who probably want a uh, less formal approach or more relaxed approach, I think that that is available too. Sure. Yeah? And we've look, we've got fifteen hundred clubs, so we can tailor that offering. There's always room for a high end club that doesn't change much and is very traditional. And there's there's room for other clubs that offer more to families and kids. And so it, we've got it there. We're fortunate. We've got a, a 
product offering that's available right around the country in, in cities and in, in country towns, um, and it can be a flexible product. Can I ask you about role models in another sense? Uh, and just another anecdote before I do about Hannah, Hannah Green, who I was led to believe now um, goes back to Mount Lawley every time she's in Perth and basically conducts it or goes down and sees the junior girls' um, penance squad, which I think is unbelievable. They all know her by name. No surprise, Steve, then that uh, Sue Thompson, I think, who runs that program, has reported like an influx of more and more girls coming. And, and more importantly, I guess, less of a churn. How important is Hannah Green, Minji Lee, Sue O, in, in being accessible now to the media? We just we have just seen Hannah's um, popularity surge in the last eight or nine months since she started dominating on the Symmetra Tour last year, but it's really kicked on. How important is that to you know have someone to attach that to for young kids? I think it's critical, and and young kids always look towards the younger players. I think uh, I think Kari and and Catherine have done an amazing job and carried the torch for so long. Uh, they've both been pretty accessible to the media. Um, you know, Kari, the interest she's taken in Australian golf, particularly women and girls, is unbelievable. So you know we've been fortunate with that. But you know we do need a, a new brigade coming through. And Hannah, I got to spend a bit of time with Hannah at Women's Open. She's just something special as a player. Sometimes in my job, you don't get a lot of time to see uh, people play. And I just got to watch Hannah on the on the practice fairway for a period of time and I just thought how good her swing was and we've actually we've got a new benefactor for women and girls already and we put him and his um, guests with Hannah and they just at their request and they just had just an amazing day uh, and Hannah was fantastic and so I got a text from them saying they're firmly entrenched in the green team and um, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so, any so, truth in the room that she's modeled her swing on yours um, you couldn't get two more different golf swings. <laughs> okay, Stephen, good luck with Vision 2025. That's the introduction to the interview. We're not talking New England Patriots now, but so we'll, we'll turn our attention to the Boston Red Sox. Just now that we're in the serious part of the interview, can we have a chat about what's going on in the AL East this year? I'm worried about the Yankees lineup. <laughs> right, three and four looks a problem, I reckon. There might be a bit of home run generation going on there, Hazy. Oh, my goodness. Um, Pity, thanks, Stephen, thanks for coming on. It's always great to have you on the show. Pleasure, absolutely. Stephen Pitt, CEO of Golf Australia. There's a lot of meat on that bone. Hopefully, we'll see the growth in women's game follow the outlining of ambition via Vision 2025. G'day, I'm My Golf Ambassador Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for My Golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My Golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. G'day, it's Nick O'Hearn here. Whenever I get the chance, I catch up with Inside the Road to follow up on all the latest golf, and I urge you all do the same. It's a great show. Welcome back to the show. Very good friend of ours here on Inside the Ropes podcast. I'm going to be even a better friend of the program this year, Hazy, about to join us on the show. A big friend, Andy. Uh, one of the, the great characters of women's golf in Australia in the past decade or so. And uh, we're delighted that Stacey Peters, formerly known to many, sort of like Prince changing her name, but formerly known as Stacey Keating, uh, is not only going to join us here in a minute, but also through the year on Inside the Ropes, which is going to be fantastic. We can hear you in the background there, Stace. Uh, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the show for the first time in 2018. 
Hey, guys. Thanks very much for having me again. I'm uh, really looking forward to the year ahead. Now, we're going to talk to you about your new, the next phase of your life in golf as the National Female Pathway Manager for Golf Australia. We'll kind of flesh that out after we talk about what's in front of you right now. And we've all been caught up in the Asian Amateur Championship in the last decade, I guess it's been yeah. going for 10 years. Yep. Become a, a really outstanding tournament for the next wave of young players in this region coming yep. through for the boys. A staple in the Asia-Pacific region, Andy. And, um, you know, it's got worldwide attention on it and and it's really helped bring the world of golf together in so many aspects um it gives everyone in our region a chance to get onto the big stage and that's enormous but there's been one thing lacking stace hasn't there yeah definitely i mean obviously there hasn't been a women's event so this is uh yeah the first time this year in singapore right now and the girls get underway today so really looking forward to it i mean the week so far has been great the girls have been treated really well um you know, hotels are awesome. The golf course, I mean, the golf course is awesome at Santosa. Um, and even the HSBC event here for LPGA is played on the same course next week. So, I mean, you can imagine the condition of it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's awesome. The girls are so excited and, yeah, they're looking forward to getting into it. So, Stace, we've been talking with Steve earlier on about, uh, you know, the, the ever-growing importance of uh, golf, um, women's golf in Australia and the world for that matter. Um, this is... Absolutely part of it. Um, it's gone under the radar a little bit just because of the proximity to the Women's Australian Open. But yeah, this is enormous, isn't it? We're, let's put out on for our listeners here. This is a chance uh, for the women who win, woman who wins this gets a shot at the ANA Inspiration, the Women's British Open, and the tournament Stacey just mentioned next week back at the same That's course. Phenomenal. I mean, it's an unbelievable yeah, prize. Mean- it's awesome. It's it's pretty, like two majors and one massive Asian event. You know, it's kind of like it's three majors, really. Um, I mean, it, it's awesome. I'm even going to say that's well, I'm not going to say it's better than Augusta, what the boys get, but I mean, it's uh, it's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's going to be life changing for one of these girls in four days' time. I so, mean, yeah, to get those, the, you know, those exemptions is really something else. <laughs> Stacey Blakey here. Uh, I was watching Grace Kim play last week, and I think she's in that group that's playing this week. Who, who have we got that's yeah. kind of – who would yeah. you expect to jump up? Is there anyone in particular you would think could I jump mean, up and have a chance? Yeah, I mean, obviously Grace Kim. Um, I mean, we've got, we've got six girls here. Three qualify off world rankings, and then three are selections. So we've got uh, Kirsty Hodgkins, uh, Robin Choi, and Julianne Sue. They're girls uh, – Aussie girls that are playing college golf in the States. And then Eliza Hedrick, Becky Kay, and then obviously Grace Kim, who yeah, played the Aussie Open last week. I mean, all the girls seem like they're, you know, they're playing really solid. Um, I, think, I think Grace Kim, after the experience of last week, you know, I think that, that will really help her, obviously, going forward. But I think it will really help her this week. Um, Julian, Julian's a great, uh, great ball striker. Um, yeah, I mean, and yeah, the college girls, I think, um, yeah, I, I think we've got a great mix this week. I really do. A couple of those names have been lost in the last year or so because of their college commitment stays, haven't they, in terms of uh, being recognised on the Australian women's amateur scene. So we've lost them effectively for a couple of years. Uh, Kirsty Hodgkins is our highest ranked player there this week, and I would imagine she played a key role in Queensland winning the interstate series for women in Queensland a couple of years ago but since then she's been away in Colorado that not many people would even have a grasp of who she is yeah that's exactly right I guess you know I wouldn't like to use the term lost in the college system but it's kind of I guess they're just not getting as much recognition over here maybe that's something I can do a better job of Um, and I mean I've been trying to within my new role I guess I've been trying to 
really stay in contact and communicate with the college girls because they're a huge part. I mean, you know, they're some of our highest ranked girls in the world ranking system right now. So we want to be, you know, keeping them in the loop in our programs. Um, and obviously they can be, you know, in for our representative teams going forward, whether it be Queen Syracuse World Cup later this year, um, you know, and they're girls that are right in the mix to be getting uh, those selections. Stace, talk us through your role because you're not their coach as such, are you? It's more probably a mentoring role. Would that be fair to say yeah. as, so- as someone who's been out on the tour recently or up to this point yourself? Yeah, definitely. I think I'd like to call myself like a glorified mentor. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's, you know, it's just with the communicating with the girls, with their service teams, um, within each of the states and obviously the college girls um, and keeping them in the loop with what we're doing, things that, you know, I can be helping them on their pathway, helping with their training, their, you know, their practice, and then, like, tournament preparation and stuff. Obviously, this week, you know, um, and I guess, yeah, that sort of stuff when I'm travelling with them, um, with the teams as well. Yeah. Stacey, the word pathway is part of your title, and you've mentioned it a couple of times. Tell us about the importance of an event like this in this region and how that sits in terms of the pathway for the girls who get into these elite programs as a junior but then that step from that point of their golfing journey into the kind of pro ranks if you like where this sits and just how important a plank in the pathway it is yeah definitely i mean for them to be playing against the best girls well obviously as we know right now the strongest girls you know for women are in asia aren't they so i guess for our girls and you know the whole uh, field really to be playing against the best from this region I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to let the girls know where they're sitting, where they're sitting within the competition. And I think for our girls, they will get a lot of uh, motivation from this as well. Um, they see how uh, the Asians are working and, you know, I can see little bits of that already. So I think it's, it's very important to be getting these sort of opportunities against the best girls in Asia because, like, the, the college girls and stuff, they wouldn't be playing against. Like, I, just, I believe the college system is it's great and the competition is awesome but they're not getting exposed to these girls that are just playing in Asia. Um, some of the girls that aren't even, you know, that'll be the best in the field here haven't got the highest world rankings because they're not playing those events. Um, so it's kind of hard to judge. It'll be interesting to see as the week progresses. But, yeah, I think it's very important for our girls, very motivating. And, um, yeah, no, I, I think it's great in the pathway. So, Stace, um, it's a sort of a sign of the respect that this tournament's already going to be held with that, uh, the college system has let the players go a little bit to come and play and try and qualify for all those big advantages you mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, ab- and that, absolutely. Because oh, you go, Hazy. And that, and that didn't that didn't even uh, that's not even possible for the Australian Amateur Championship, which is already producing just this magnificent women's honour roll. And we'll talk about that. Um, we talked about that a little earlier on too. But uh, the chance to see all the women of the region come together in one big hit. We, we know the Koreans are awesome. We saw J- the Japanese players dominate at the uh, Asia, Australian Amateur Championship. And there's some awesome Thai players here this week, including that uh, young girl, pardon me if I get her name incorrect, but a Thai Titical from um, Thailand who um, we took one of Lydia Ko's records as the youngest winner on the LET. I mean, it's a, it's a conglomeration of everything that's good about Asian golf. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, with the college girls because it, it is tough you know they have to be keeping up their schoolwork and I understand that from their coach's point of view but for them to be let out let out is that the right word <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, 
let loose. I'm not sure. But, um, <laughs> yeah, for them to, you know, because sometimes, like, they can't even do all the representative teams. You know, I know that they can't go to, uh, they're not able to go to Queen Syracuse in a few months um, if they were to be selected because it clashes with an event over there and the college, you know, college coach is just kind of like, no, can't happen. And obviously they've let them uh, go for this week. So obviously it's great that the college recognises that as well and that they are going to be playing against some of the best, uh, you know, from yeah, Japan, Korea, Thailand, like those names um, that you mentioned. Stace, uh, just a philosophical question here. Like you talked a lot about the standards that the Asians uh, set in this particular game. And I've actually spoken to Paul McNamee about this in tennis as well. And he was saying to me a few years ago that, you know, like someone like Novak Djokovic, you know, at 12 years of age or something like that, he moved country to go into yeah. a coaching camp. I mean, there are, there are places around the world where people don't focus as much on education they're rather they're, they're focused on on being a better athlete, whereas in, in in Australia we tend to have a more of a holistic view, don't we? So it doesn't necessarily uh, lend itself to producing the better athlete uh, necessarily, does it? So how do we find that balance? I guess is the question. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm always going to be one that's pushing for uh, the education, for sure. Um, you know, I think we've had a we've seen a mix through Australia. Like it seems to have gone in waves, like with college. You know, girls going to college, girls turning professional straight away. And again, I think um, like what level they're at. Um, you know, like we see the Minji, Suze, uh, Hannah that have just gone on and turned professional because they're, I feel their game is at, you know, such a level. Um, then you get a different wave that are going through to college. Um, but I do, yeah, I think I'll definitely be one that is, is pushing the education side of things because I think it's so important. But I do think... I do think it's good for the girls to have that a balance, like um, to be studying and practicing, at, even at that high level of amateur golf. I think it's uh, it's something that's really important, and it and they just have to be good at their time management, getting their studies done, getting their practice done. You know, I still think it is possible to be a great golfer while studying. Stacey, you're an awesome appointment. You obviously got a wealth of experience. You have got enormous energy. You care about um, the role that you've been um, given the responsibility of so you know, we can't wait to speak to you more about it last one from me though in terms of balancing that with your own golf are you still going to be teeing it up from time to time or, or is this it for you have you have you given it away sort of professional tournament golf um i was always going to play uh the aussie summer and then not too much after that so i'm actually going to play the new south wales open next week um and then yeah, not too much going forward from there. Maybe the odd event here or there, depending how I uh, how I feel or how GA feel about that. Um, maybe things like you know the Vic Open. Uh, I would love probably to play that event for the next twenty eight years. I think. Yes. So, well, ask me that next uh, January if I'm not practicing practicing as much. Maybe not. Um, yeah, so I might just uh, play that by year. But yeah, not a lot. Um, not a lot for me travel wise going forward. Yep. Stace, this, I just want to let you know that it's not going to be this light on you. We're not going to ask you these oh, Dorothy no, Dixes fluffy, as you yeah, sit in the studio like... with us later in the year. I want you to know that. <laughs> you can ask me whatever. I'll be as honest as I can with you guys. <laughs> oh, we're going to be brutal on you. Absolutely brutal. <laughs> I'm nervous. I'm nervous. No, I'm excited. Hey, Stace, good, good luck in, in terms of what's immediately in front of you over there at Sentosa. We're going to be following... You're not only the development of this tournament in the next four days, but uh, for the next 400 years, well, we won't be because we'll be pushing I'd up like daisies it. by then. But <laughs> this is such an exciting yeah. um, 
uh, addition to the women's game in this region. It's brilliant, and uh, we know what the boys' version of it's come to mean to everybody involved, and certainly from the word go, it's going to be a really important facet for the women's game. Good luck to the team. Uh, we can't wait to see you back here. We'll have a, uh, you're going to be part of the show regularly throughout 2008, and we can't wait to have you in the studio. Hey, really looking forward to it, guys. Uh, I'll pass on my wishes to the girls. Good on you. Stacey Peters, National Female Pathway Manager over at Sentosa in Singapore for the Women's Amateur Asian Championship. Joining us here on Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch a golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, Check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf. G'day guys, it's Brian Russell here, and I'm a long way from home, playing on the Latin America tour and living in the US, but I keep up with all my Australian golf while listening inside the road. So just the final bits and pieces before we wrap up the show. We um, had to get to Stephen Pitt and Stacey Peter, so we didn't get a chance to talk about the European tour, the Oman Open was played, I think, for the was that the first time the Oman Open was played? Oh, it's a time-honoured event. Well, it, you know what it will be? It, I'm not sure it will be. How long does something have to be played before it becomes time-honoured? <laughs> but it, how the Greg Norman team has been able to produce a golf course like that in those conditions, like it's on a flat, sandy wasteland, the golf course... On TV. It's a new de- definition of the expression sand belt. Well, it does. I, I mean, I'll be interested <laughs> to hear Clates when he joined. Well, I'm keen to ask him about this, but it was visually very easy on the eye. The players, now I don't, you never know with players whether they're sort of half on the payroll to pump this thing up as part of their, you know, performance and, and appearance, but they were glowing in their, um, in their recommendations of the course. It did seem to be in absolutely pure condition. Use Loughton wins at 16 under the card, beats Chris Wood 13 under. Sam Brazel, the best of the Australians, at 7 under the card, tie for 16. But the course was the course was amazing. The course was amazing. Greg, uh, Greg doesn't do anything that comes out bad, does he? Everything you know that he touches uh, is good. And uh, if I wanted to really wind you up, Andy, oh. I'd just mention the interview that Greg did on uh, the 7.30 report in which he, he once again uh, <laughs> backed... The president don't, of the United States, no, no, uh, don't, let's Donald not go Trump. Why are you friend. doing that to me on the first Sorry, show okay. of the year? Why okay. would you do that to me? I'm in such a good mood. The only <laughs> thing that was more impressive and more visually stunning than the golf course was Robert Rock's hair. It, oh. It's gone to an, There's a Twitter handle, Robert Rock's hair. Isn't you know, it? it's gone to a whole new level. His hair has gone to a whole new level. I've never seen him and Ray Martin in the same room at the same oh, time. He's got Ray covered. Oh, yeah. Ray's not real, is it? Ray real hair? I'm not sure. Ray is Martin. Rock's real hair? Oh, yeah. It's one piece. It's a thing of absolute beauty. And it was in, I don't know whether it was just bouncing off the Black Sea or whatever it is over there, but it just was in an element that just allowed it to shine. It was superb. <laughs> don't laugh, Hazy. I know you've got a good thatch. Yours isn't too bad, Blakey. I'm in real trouble. But uh, Robert Rock's hair was the thing of absolute beauty. Um, closer to home, the Australasian PGA Tour, the Queensland PGA was played last week. Daniel Fox wins 18 under the card. 
a couple of our perennials, Steve Jeffress and Matty Miller, just whenever you have a Pro-Am or a State Open or State PGA, yeah. lock those two blokes in to finish yeah. top 10. They are remarkable players Yeah, we, we, we bang on about, you know, the golden era and everything like that, but these guys just keep bobbing up. Um, it doesn't do. matter how many young guys and young guns thrust themselves into these tournaments. These guys just ultra professional and just seem to put their nose in the frame all the time. Brilliant. Well done, Daniel Fox. That's, that's a, it's a, it's a tough course to win on because the chances of scoring a, a low score there are, are high. Um, you know, our man, Aaron Price, a couple of 64s and a, and then a 66 and couldn't get the, couldn't get the job done. I mean, the, the scoring there is just off the charts. And a, and a blue with Johnny Huggan on Twitter on the way through. Just obligatory I, these days for Price to upset, <laughs> upset someone on Twitter. And it was Huggy this time. So, that's always worth it. Following. Can be a bit prickly, John Huggins. <laughs> Pricey, <laughs> to say the know, least. <laughs> Pricey does know how to push a button on Twitter. Yeah. I do. I do enjoy. There's only one Twitter account I enjoy more than Aaron Price's at the moment. John Huggins. No, no, no. In golf, oh. Huggy's right. Huggy's in yeah. the top five. Eddie Pepperell's oh, yeah. Twitter account. Yeah. He put out a tweet this week, and I'm going to swear here, so I do apologise in uh, preemptively. But he said, "You know, blokes yeah, are always putting tweets of their own swings on Twitter and whatever." He said. Eddie Pepperell said this week, I hit it so well on the range today, I almost posted a video. Then I realised even I don't give a shit. <laughs> it was just, he is very, he's highly worth following Eddie Pepperell. Um, uh, he, he's high on the priority list, I reckon, for us to get down here. The, the, couldn't this, agree with you this more. coming next summer, I should say. Um, the PGA um, of Australasia did an awesome job, especially on short notice, getting beef down here mm. for the... World Super Six Perth, which was an awesome tournament, by the way, and we probably should have touched we on. Should have touched we, on that, we probably yeah. have got a, a second to do it, but the guys who aren't necessarily at the top of the world, but who move the needle, they're the ones we want. And Eddie Pepperell's one of those coming up, I reckon. I love him. I love him. And if you if you two can pull your significant strings at GA <laughs> to get him down here next summer, I will follow him for four days because, <laughs> and I want to see every post round interview that he mm-hmm. does. Uh, I think it'll be absolutely worth it. Just, just before we get away from the Queensland PGA. There's a bloke who finished tied fifth in this tournament, an amateur. He shot 62 in the final round. He went out in 30. Now, an amateur, I don't know anything about this bloke. An amateur shoots 30 in the final round of a state PGA. He might get a bit, oh, geez, I'm in the mix here. He might get a bit chilly and realise the moment's a bit bigger than he's ready for and come back and shoot 39 on the way in. Shoots 32 on the way in. Shoots 62 in the final round. I've never heard his name. I've never seen him. But I like the profile of what he did in the final round. His name's Maverick Antcliffe. Oh. Do you know anything about Maverick Antcliffe? Yeah, I know a little bit about Maverick Antcliffe because he's been off the radar for so long in the in the in the college scene. So he's actually uh, see. I'm I've surprised you here, haven't I? <laughs> you have. He played at. I'm not Aug- putting it past you, by the way. Augusta but... University, and he actually played all four years. So he was on the team the whole four years. Okay. So he's a, I wouldn't say a decorated college player, but an accomplished college player. Um, and he's a Queenslander, so he's probably had a bit of knowledge up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, arguably one of the great names in world golf already. Maverick Ankle. Feel the need for speed, Maverick. Oh, <laughs> mate. I, I can't. I, I, we need this guy to keep, as you would say, Hazy, keep going north. Correct, yeah. He just needs to be. Well, we'll get him on here, Andy, so you can have a talk to him. I would love to know more yeah, about well, Maverick Ankle. In the next month, I'll have Maverick on for you. Lovely. Uh, you too, any little bits and pieces of general business before we wrap it up? I uh, just wanted to talk about uh, distance of the golf ball, Andy. Uh, Martin oh, Slumber. Oh, uh, is that, that a surprise? That's <laughs> kind of, no, novel, no, that's no I think this is really interesting. Martin Slumber's the CEO of the RNA. He said last week that 
This is a quote. Our view is we've probably crossed that line in the sand and that a serious discussion is now needed. Are they sort of inching to the to the line where they're going to do something? Because Augusta, as part of this, Augusta is going to put their fifth hole, the tee on their fifth hole back about 20 or 30 metres as well because they're worried about that. It's one of the harder holes on the course, Hazy. But, you know, are they... It sounds as though... I mean, the, the USGA said something about the, the golf ball recently as well. So it sounds like they might actually start you know, having yeah, well, a committee to have actually, a discussion to talk maybe, about this. I think I mentioned this on the, on on Inside the Ropes um, in early November, but I asked um, someone at Augusta. It must have been must have been Billy Payne, actually. If you don't mind. At Royal Wellington in the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship, a question and very unlike them to interject. And Slumbers actually came in and across the top because I asked. I think I asked Billy Payne about changes at Augusta and you know what you what you're prepared to do if if the game doesn't act from a rules perspective and he actually said um Martin Slumbers came in and said you know it is getting to that the 11th hour now we yeah. have to do something oh, he didn't he wasn't that forthright but that was the intimation of what yeah, he was saying right so it's on the board I reckon I mean one more thing yeah Adam Scott was photographed working at Riviera last week on the range where he played and made the cut with a guy called George Gankas, G-A-N-K-A-S. Google him when you get home. I was told by a national coach at Adela- in Adelaide last week that George Gankas, who does a lot of his coaching as a kind of a blog on the internet, is one of the most left-field uh, coaches out there. He, he puts some of the others to shame. So uh, what would Adam Scott be doing working with a kind of a left-field, out-there kind of coach when you've got a swing like that? Now, I don't know if, if it's an ongoing thing. Maybe it was a one-off. I don't know. He was, he was, it's on Twitter. Um, it's Rob Lucetich, who, who's a journo who works out of there for Fox, he took the photo. He couldn't believe it. But um, that's a worry. Yeah, well, gonna, it's interesting. Hmm. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to segue because I don't know what we can add to the conversation about. Was it Mancus? Gankus. Gankus. George Gankus. The thing yeah. I would say about that is I wonder whether Scotty's at a point now where he realises that having a beautiful swing's not enough anymore. Okay. Maybe maybe he's at a point where he realises I've got to do something else here. I need to expand my, you know, a mental sort of horizon, perhaps. I don't know. I'm, I'm just know kind of thinking look, out loud here. He's said know? in the past that he doesn't hit his wedges close enough. Yeah, That's always, one thing. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah which so in maybe, turn puts speculation and, and focus on his putting. Mm. Yeah, so he's putting from 25 feet when he'd like to be putting from six feet, you mm. know, a bit more. Um, just a, a loose segue there on Scott. Um, we touch, You touched on Cam Smith before and his world ranking, uh, and we also touched on Kari Webb. It, you know, these two have been the staple of Australian golf for a long time now. So Cam Smith's gone past Adam Scott in the world rankings. So Adam Scott's now the fourth-ranked Australian, which I think is staggering, given he was number yeah, one in the absolutely. world not that long ago. Yeah. Uh, he's now down to number 58. Um I, the clock's not ticking, but it sort of is. Like he sure. could, he he could do anything, but he, you know, I'm I've already, as we've said, written off Tiger, and Scotty's not in that age bracket yet. But he's getting up there to where he, you know he it will start ticking soon, and I think he needs to make a bit of a song and dance soon, otherwise his ranking will continue to go the other way, and he will go south. Mm. So um, it's it's quite remarkable that he's dropped down to 58 in the world. Mm. He's not qualified for the US Open at this point. He's in the Masters as a past winner. Of course, yeah, yeah. I believe he's in the Open Championship, but he's not in the US Open. I read that somewhere the other day. You know. And now on the women's side, 
for the first first time uh, in modern history, Carry Webb's not in the top 100, as we mentioned, but we've got five players now. Hannah Green with a bullet up to 92. It's already become the Hannah Green podcast in 2018, yeah, hasn't it? But, There'll be a restraining order on you, sir. <laughs> but it's, it's a great thing to see almost sort of quietly the next generation pushing through. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, okay, before we wrap it up, I just want to put one thing in the time capsule before uh, we wrap it up. You mentioned six weeks until we get to Augusta. Blakey, I want you, you two to nominate, and I'll jump in last for what it's worth, um, you two to nominate a player on the men's side of the game, we'll do the women next week, to win a major championship. You don't have to declare which one. You've just got to pick one player who will win a major championship in 2018. Well, clearly, the form guide tells you Cam Davis is going to win one of these major championships. Well, that would be amazing. What, what form guide are you looking at? If you've won the Australian Open, you're going places in majors the next oh, year. Oh, yeah, this is a very good point. <laughs> Failing Cameron Davis yeah, saluting. Yeah. We're all barracking for that. Oh, it would be unbelievable. Um, but what um, what I think is going to happen is Jason Day, if he can stay fit, will win another one, which I'm, that's obviously parochial. And failing that, I'm going with Johnny Rahm. Oh, okay. you've taken my two. Oh, so there you go. You two have spent too much time together. Uh, so John Rahm's a man, man mountain. I think he's got to be a big chance this year. So he's taken my two. I'm going to say Phil. Phil Mickelson. Uh, wow. How old's Phil? Well into his 40s. Nearly, he's nearly 47 he's nearly or something. Champions Tour eligible. Yeah, he's I think just, he's like 47. He's had three top tens in a row. He's playing well. He's playing pretty well. And at Augusta, watch out for Phil. Justin wow. Rose for me. Yeah. Rose will win one this year. Um, he's just he's just ticking along at the top level. Seemingly top ten every time he tees it up. He's winning a lot. Uh, he seems to just have his game in total order. We know he's capable on the big stage. He's been there and done it before. So I reckon if you have to pick one. DJ, Spieth, Thomas? Yeah. yeah. Too obvious. Yeah. Okay. Is Rose obvious? Rose is pretty obvious. Fairly yeah. obvious in the top 10 in the world. You didn't well, go I'm exactly right. out on a limb there, Andy, <laughs> <laughs> against my Phil. Well, you're At least only, I offered up something. You're only plucking Phil because he took Rahm. You hadn't even <laughs> thought about Phil until then. It's no. just a, completely plucked out. No, Jason, field. look, Jason's due, isn't he? I'd love to see Jason. He, you tell what he's doing. Yeah. I tell you what he's doing. The the diff, I just did a little look at Jason Day v Rory McIlroy at the moment, and their difference in their putting at the moment is remarkable. And the pot on Rory conti- continues to be his ability to get the ball in the hole. And, Changed putter again. Well, he's he, the putting stats early this season are not good. Um, Day's putting stats, uh, shots gained, off uh, the number chart. one in the, in the Off the PGA chart at the moment. Team. There's only been, I think both he and Rory have only had five measurable rounds, I think they call it, uh, for for strokes gained putting. But Day's number one. Mm. And I think Rory, in fact, I couldn't even find Rory's name on the PGA, official PGA stats yesterday, but it was like point oh seven, like minus point oh seven nine, which would have had him about 125 on the PGA mm. Tour at the moment. So he's conceding about a shot and a half per round mm. to Jason Day. So Six. multiply that by four. Mm. He's going to have to just hit the ball so much better. Yeah, which isn't going to happen. Not going to happen. Not no. going to happen. Oh, uh, before we go, Andy, mm. I, I've mentioned the World, Perth, World Super 6 Perth, which I thought was a phenomenal event. And a name that we should, uh, we've had on our lips for a while. I, know, I bet you I know who you're going to mention here. Well, um, Lucas Herbert. And you was that? <laughs> we we shouldn't neglect what he's done in the last few few months. Um, second at the New South Wales Open, in the last group with Jason Day at the at the Emirates Australian Open uh, for two rounds. Uh, didn't get the chocolates, but finished well in the top ten. 
fantastic achievement. Did really well at uh, the Aussie PGA the following week. Tied seventh there. Tied seventh there. Then has gone up and he's got his card uh, in China. Um, eighth in Singapore. Eighth in Singapore, which opened up a whole realm of things for him, uh, including a berth in the Open Championship this year at Carnoustie. Uh, going great guns. Coulda, woulda, shoulda beaten Nappy Barnrad in the semi-final at, uh, at Karanup. Um, didn't quite get that job done. Finished it off with third, but you know, really going places and his head's in the right spot. And if we can put someone with an asterisk right now in the time capsule that I think we want to look back on in 12 months' time, I'm Lucas Herbert. We all love him. He went and played at Amman. I know you don't, you know, all that. You're clearly dismissing it as a time-honoured event right <laughs> before it's even really got off the ground. The only, and he's got good people around him, mm-hmm. really good people around I love, I love the Herbert clan. I yep. love everything about them. I just hope, as he's emerging... Is he's because he is really starting to make a name for himself. That he's that they can just pace themselves. Don't yeah. don't go gangbusters at everything just because you've got a chance to go and play there. I, I hope he just paces himself because he's he's a bit like that. We we love his impetuosity and his enthusiasm and he's gregarious and all of that. And I feel like he's a sort of like oh, I'll jump on the plane and I'll go over there and I can play there. I'll jump on the plane and I'll go over there. And I just hope he just has a bit of balance and, and he's measured about the way he plots his way through you know, the next sort of 12 to 24 months. I was talking to his coach, just to appease your fears there, perhaps, Andy. Um, I was talking to his coach briefly um, just around the Vic Open time, uh, which is when he got his card. He won his card by finishing second on the PGA Tour China mm. um, Q School. So he's, he's into that. And they neglected the chance to play the Vic Open, which I actually think he would have started an... In my books, if I was running a book down there, he would have started a nominal favourite. Yep, yep. Um, he, they turned their back on that, which he didn't want to do, but he did it because, big Great. picture, he's looking at web.com next year. Great. Um, if it happens to be Europe or whatever, that's fine too. But I think his eyes were on the prize of China now, top five later this year, he'll go on to the web.com tour and away we go. Perfect. We're all excited about him. Uh, boys, it's been fun. Again, uh, episode 31. Thirty-one. Well, we do. Th- we'll do thirty-two next week. Will he be here, Hazy? We'll see. We'll, might, we'll review the I performance. I might be an exclusion. You're definitely in the A team. Black. Okay, There's that's, no question that's good. About that. no I question knew you'd say that. that. You're a good man. Uh, boys, thanks for being Thank part of it again. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Martin Blake, Mark Hayes, Annie Ma. Inside the ropes. Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll be back to do it all again next week.